Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name. Certainly a blessing to be back at Prairie. See some familiar faces, and and uh, we had a very good time in in the Upper Peninsula and the cast program. And uh, the Lord gave us a good group of boys to work with, and uh, excellent DNR to work with, and. Uh, Hopefully it was a challenge to uh, witness the community and uh, encouragement to the small church there at, at Sini. But it's definitely good to be back home and be in your own bed again and see your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. The title of the message this morning is Biblical Encouragements for a Godly Father. I don't know what kind of responsibilities uh, the men in the congregation here had handed out to them in their lifetime, how easy or how difficult the assignments were. But I would say as personally, uh, probably being a dad was the biggest, is, was, the biggest job that had ever been handed out to me. Uh, usually, it's kind of like when we was traveling over to the UP, uh, Mary Sue and I got in discussion, well, what did we do this for anyhow? It's like, what? what? It's like, why do we stick our necks out? Why, why do we, how do we get caught in all this? And, uh, and we're discussing this, and I said, well, one thing for sure, we might as well be realistic about it, is that, it's going to be uphill sledding. It's going to be tough to at least the first Wednesday, the Wednesday of the first week. Like, don't even expect that you're going to be comfortable. It's like, just thank the Lord. Your head's above water. Just, just keep slugging away, and maybe by Wednesday of the first week, we'll we'll start feeling like we have at least to have a life preserver on or something. You know, it's not paddling in desperation and. That's kind of about the way it was. Um, you know, it's like so much stuff to get used to, and all the schedules, and all everything is supposed to happen, and where you're supposed to pick up your clothes, and how you're supposed to, you know, oh, everything. Even to, got this discussion which ways the food go around the table? You know, some would go one way, some way the other way, and all the dishes end up in one end, and the other people on the other end have nothing to eat, and you know, all this stuff to sort out, and. Uh, but you know you get used to it. After a while, you just kind of fall into routine, and things kind of kind of work for, except for a little glitch here and there. But but fatherhood is not that way. I mean, you know, about time you think you might have a little bit of it figured out. Yeah, yeah, no. something comes up, and and uh, you know you can you can work at it for. Well, I was trying to figure out how long uh, we had teenagers in our house. Uh, why did I say that? I'm implying that that's the hardest time. Uh, yeah, probably. I'll be honest with you. Little children, you can tell them what to do. If they don't want to do, you can pick them up by the collar and carry them around and set them where you want them to do. But you don't do that to teenagers. Um, anyhow... Lest I forget. 
probably, I've been told this many times in my life, but one time in particular, a woman, a sister, not in this church, but a sister told my wife and I, and we were in the thick of something with our teenagers, and I can't remember what it was. She said, you can do anything, but one thing you are not allowed to do, and that is give up. Never. You may have questions, you may struggle, you may wonder how this is all going to work out, you may pray and ask God for wisdom, and one thing you can't do, you cannot do, dare not do, under any circumstances, give up. Never. Anyhow, that's so it's a lifelong proposition. I mean, it's, uh, Ryan said, one of his friends said that if you want to get your life revolutionized, just have the first baby. That's way more adjustment than getting married. And, uh, yeah, life is filled with adjustments, children, and, and it's, Back to the cast thing. The thing sometimes that stretches us the most are the things that bring us the most blessing in life. If you want to just be unproductive and muddle along, just do what you always did and hope something changes, which it probably won't if you did always what you always did. Anyhow, so uh, as encouragements this morning for uh, godly dads, godly fathers. I have like, I don't know how many here, six or seven, eight, I don't know. First of all, to be a godly father, you have to be a, God, a man after God's own heart. Now, I didn't say a religious man. I said a man after God's own heart, and there's a world of difference. A world of difference. But if you're going to be a godly father, you must be godly. That is so simple, but exceedingly profound. Um, it is not possible to experience success as a dad without being godly. You may have children. They may get good jobs. They may whatever. But first of all, Every child needs the example of a godly father. Then after being a godly father, you must be a man. And I mean a man. Um, our culture is attacking manhood. Attacking manhood. Uh, Ezekiel 22.30 God said, And I sought for a man. And that term man also carries the idea of a champion. Brothers, this morning, God is looking for champions in Prairie Mennonite Church. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for an ordinary male. He's looking for a godly champion. He said, I sought for a man, a champion among them, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. And what do you think 
I have often wondered what the, what the saddest statement is that God ever made. And I don't know what that is, but I can tell you one thing. This is one of them. God looked through his people for one champion to stand in the gap. And he said, I didn't find one single person. I don't know if God ever cries, but I think he probably would have been. If he does, I cannot imagine the heart of God when he looked around and he couldn't find one man. So if you're going to be a man, you've got to function as a man. You have to take responsibility as a man. You've got to think like a man. You have to work like a man. You have to act like a man to be a godly father. You have to embrace, we have to embrace manhood. And I'll say at the beginning of this sermon, every, every Father's Day sermon that I ever preach and prepare, I am convicted. Really convicted. Uh, what I could have been, what I should be, what I don't stand up here as having all the answers. I mean, being a perfect example, I'm not. I, I just don't. First of all, he has to be a man after God's own heart. Second of all, he must be a man of humility. Somehow or the other, our culture strokes and stokes this idea that if you're going to be a man, you have to be macho. And they wear the muscle shirts. And they wear the long sideburns. And they wear all this stuff. And they drive the hot cars. And they turbocharge them. And they do all kinds of ridiculous things to substitute for being a true man. But every man of God knows... If he doesn't know, he should discover soon that true manhood is following the man Christ Jesus. There is no true manhood other than that. Folks, you're a wimp. We men are wimps if we think we can become somebody. And by the way, growing peach fuzz is not the beginning of becoming a real man. That means you're just growing up. That's all it means. A man of humility must rest in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Jesus Christ is a true man. He is the only one. We got to get rid of this macho image that I got the answers, I got everything under control, I got I'm in the driver's seat. All this stuff has to go, and we have to, as a true man, we must rest in the Lord and trust Him. And right there is where God starts giving us direction as dads. He shall direct thy path. 
not he may, he could, it says he shall. Number three, he must be a man of discipline. Not being in control, but being controlled. There's a world of difference between being in control and being controlled as a leader. You've heard of the term control freaks. Yeah. We have them. You've seen them. I've seen them. Maybe sometimes we get caught in that. Something has got to give. This cannot go, and I will do whatever it takes to change it. We dad can get into that frame of reference. Proverbs 6.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Now we're talking taking a city as a major ticket item. Overthrowing a city. But the Bible says the man that has is slow to anger is more powerful than a person that can gain control of Chicago. You know what that's saying? It's easier to control what's outside of you than it is to control what's inside of you. That's what that's saying. I've met a lot of young people, talked to a lot of young people, counseled with a lot of young people in my life, Bible school setting. Very few things that will destabilize a home faster and drive children away from God quicker than a dad that's out of control. And I know we all get upset at times, we get perturbed at times, but there's no excuse for a dad to go out of control and lash out at everything and everybody around him. And I say there's no excuse, and I've done it already. Sad to say. So we have to control ourselves. The first thing, Dad, this morning, it's you. It's me. We cannot expect 
anything around us to be in control if we do not control ourselves by the grace of God. It just won't happen. A man of discipline, personal discipline. He needs to be a man of discipline in the home. Men, this, this point is not easy for me to share this morning. Pray for me as I share it. But, Dad, God has called us. We are primarily responsible, responsible for the discipline in our home. It's not our wife. She's a vital part of it, but it don't stop at her. It stops right here. Dad carries the primary responsibility of exercising discipline when it comes to correcting the children. My heart is saddened when I see a child out of control child in a Christian home, out of control, mom and dad are both present, and the mom looks at the dad, and the dad looks away. Shouldn't be. Now, if there's no dad present, when dad's at work or something else, and no dad present, and needs discipline needs to be meted out, I think it's appropriate that the mom does it. But when dad's there, it's dad's job. One of the things that are confused children the most is when mom runs the home. Our bishop in Ohio said, you want a guarantee for a confused home, just let mom run the show. And the children will be confused. He put it very bluntly. Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. We as parents, particularly we as dads, need to understand that our children were born with hearts bent toward folly. They were. As sweet and as wonderful and as loving and everything else as this little baby is, rest assured, its heart is bent toward folly. If a bend toward evil, a bend toward folly. And I believe that one of the things that <clears throat> we need to get straight in our minds is that to help a child depart from folly, the basic item that a child needs to understand is that no means no. 
that must be clear. No means no. Maybe the child is small and maybe the child is learning to walk and maybe grabs, starts reaching for something. One of the ways that some parents take care of that problem is they remove everything that's breakable outside of the reach of their child. I don't think that's the thing to do. I think that there's, put something down there, you can change the, the stuff you don't want broke or don't matter, but to remove, try to remove all temptations so you don't have to address the no means no is not the solution to the problem. I don't say you put stuff there purposely to tempt them. And maybe a slap on the hand. No. And you slap their hand. No. And maybe that's good enough. But somehow or the other, our children children weren't quite that easily trained. As a matter of fact, uh, I hope some people don't listen to this, but our Otison was a stinker. Just put it very bluntly. I mean, she had a will that would not quit. And we struggled. I mean, and we struggled. And I say struggle, I mean we struggled. She would throw tempt tantrums on the ground and hold her breath till she passed out. And it's like, what do we do? I mean, oh, we can't let her pass out. And you grab her and, you know, and hug her so that she don't pass out. You know what that does? When she wants her way the next time, she does exactly the same thing over. And I'm glad I had siblings that were kind enough and to say, you know, you're not really doing the right thing. You're adding to your problem. Uh, just ignore it and go away. And when she wakes up and there's nobody around to fuss over her, and maybe she experiences a little pain because of it, it may minimize your problem. I'm glad that my sibling said, you know, maybe you should read a couple books. And they gave us, or recommended, The Christian Family by Larry Christensen, if I remember right, and uh, Child Training by Fugate. I haven't read the books for a long time, but I can tell you one thing. We learned a lot from reading some books. You know, if a child, anyone, but particularly child, if that is foggy in their mind, that no does not really mean no, it destabilizes their whole life. Because now, right and wrong become fluid. You follow, follow what I'm saying? Right and wrong become fluid. No does, maybe means no, and it may not mean no. Depends on somebody's mood or whatever. No must mean no. And if no does not mean no, it deforms their basic concept, not of right and wrong, but of God. 
Does God actually mean no when he says no? When there's an incident of violation in my life, trying to deal with incidents of violation, you hear people using terms, well, I pushed the line. The rules say you must not do this particular thing. And they did it. All right? Flat did it. They know it. They did it. I know they did it. Everybody knows they did it. And when they're gently confronted, they said, I pushed the line. No, they did not push the line. They went over the line. You follow, follow a concept that no can be pushed. Right and wrong can be pushed. Somewhere there's a, con there's a lack of understanding that no means, do no doesn't mean no. Does God mean no when he says no? Does he? He does. And if God means no when he says no, where are our children going to get that concept if we as parents don't place it there by loving discipline? They're not going to get it from our culture. No. We must lovingly, firmly, with conviction, teach our children that no means no. We must. If it takes the rod of correction, that's what it takes. I've heard people say, well, you know, we raised our, our whole family and we never spanked them. If the Bible says that the rod removes foolishness from the heart of a child. And if we know that the heart of a child is bent toward foolishness, is it a feather in our hat to say, that we never did what the Bible told us to do? Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof, and I like that too, those two things, the rod and reproof. The rod with an explanation. The rod and reproof give wisdom. We had a student at Bible school 
whose parents said that he was afflicted with ADD. And he explained it like this, that an ADD child is like having their wires in your brain that goes from one place to the other, and that wires don't have insulation on them. So when they think, the sparks fly and jump from one wire to the other. And so when they think they shouldn't do something, you have this short circuit, and before they can reason not to, they just go ahead and do it. However, when that short circuit happened, happened off enough, often enough in the Bible school setting, and that child was, that student was told that they will be expelled from school because of their behavior all at once. There was insulation grown on the wires. And I don't say that as a joke. All at once there was insulation grown on the wires and lots of insulation. To the fact that the student come to the office, can I do this? Can I do that? Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? And I asked Howard Bean, do you believe in ADD? And he said, yes, I think there's some cases of ADD out there. But most of them are ADAM, which is Adam. That's what he said. He's a school teacher and deals with a lot of students. <clears throat> I've often wondered, in personal reflection, how many employee difficulties, how many marriage difficulties, how many church difficulties, how many general in, uh, interpersonal relationship difficulties stem back to people who never learned that no means no. I've wondered. Going back to parents who have never taken seriously The call of God on their lives to apply the rod whenever necessary. And I wonder sometimes if we're being intimidated into disobedience in this area because of the pressures of our culture. And I'm going to be the first to say this morning here that there's a right way and wrong way to discipline children. I... That first one we had, and I said she's a stinker, and her dad was a stinker too. And I remember the day that my wife brought our oldest daughter in to me and says, look here on her behind, there is a black and blue mark. And I was smoked to my heart. Should never, ever, under any conditions, ever be that discipline leaves marks on a child. Never. I was so wrong, so wrong.
And we read about people getting jailed because they beat their children. And you know what, brothers and sisters, this morning, the Bible still stands. It does. Morality is simply drawing a line between good and evil. And how can we, as God's people, maintain morality in our life and in the lives of our children if no never means no? Proverbs 3, 7 to 12 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be... Notice that. Fear the Lord, depart from evil... Know what no means. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. And thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. God in his love and concern for you and I as adults doesn't give up. He continues to lay on the rod whenever it's needed. Because he knows, he knows if we're going to survive as God's people, as his child, we're going to have to learn what no means no. He doesn't give up on us. If God thinks it's right, God knows it's right. He knows it's good for us as adults. It must be good for our children. For the spiritual welfare and prosperity of our children, we must exercise discipline personally and in relation to them. There's something about... Lack of disciplining children, I think we forget, and I'm not sure if we get it straight in our mind. Every person, whether they're adult or whether they're a child, needs to get the connection clear in our minds and in their minds that there is a connection between evil and pain. We have to get it straight. Evil brings pain. You know, every single soul that walks the face of this earth will either understand here that there's a connection between evil and pain or they will find out later when it's too late to change. We can decide now or we can discover it later. Turn to Luke 16. I find this passage interesting and very challenging. It's a story of a rich man and a poor man. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. 
You may say, what's this have to do with child training? Well, just hang on. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. I inject, could that gulf be sin? So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. Notice that. They have Moses and the prophets. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, as though the one rose from the dead. Here's a man that's making connection between evil and pain. Now, you know as well as I, taking the entire tenor of the scripture, people do not go to hell because they're rich. And they do not go to heaven because they're poor. That is not criteria to get to heaven or get to hell. You know that as well as I. So there's some other reason besides being rich or being poor that landed one in heaven and one in hell. I'm not sure what that was. It implies that something had to do with food. Okay? But Father Abraham did not say to the rich man, you know, if we told, if, if somebody went back and told your brothers to have sale, that they could avoid hell. He didn't say that. What did he say? They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What did Moses give? He wrote what? The books of the law, right? What are the books of the law? Yes, you do this. No, you do not do that. 
The rich man had problems with Moses and Abraham, and so did his brothers. And because he had problems with Moses and Abraham, it stemmed out into a lifestyle that did not say no to me and did not say yes to the poor man at my gate. Somewhere, I don't know where, but somewhere, the rich man was not, did not get the concept, and I don't know if it was his upbringing or what, or whether he got it into, maybe he had godly parents, but somewhere along the way, yes means me, and no meant everybody else. He never made the connection between no and pain. And the day came where Father Abraham couldn't even help him. He said, there's a gulf fixed between me and you. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't even get you one single drop of water. Not one. The rich man found out too late. Brothers and sisters, this morning, we cannot afford to get it wrong that we come to too late. When God calls us to apply the rod of discipline, I will say this right now it should hurt us as much or more than it hurts the child. If it doesn't, we have some homework to do. You have your young small child, and it reaches for something, you say no, slap their hands, it doesn't work, go right back to it. You make sure they understand, and they go back, whatever, there's people who argue with me and say you should do it the first time. I'm not too sure about that. But I can tell you one thing. After several times, there's a game going. They know, and they'll look at you to see what your response is going to be when they go back for it the third time. They know. They know what's up. And they're going to try to find out whether you are going to buy, about, apply God's principles. And if you need to apply the rod. Cradle that child when you're done. There's something that must be clear in the heart of that child. If you need to apply pain to overcome evil, they never, ever should wonder whether mom or dad loves them in that entire process. It should never cross their mind. The depth of your love should never be in question. Number four. A godly father must be a man of integrity. Integrity is the thing of the heart. And I understand that. 
That's important. It has to start there, but it has to it has to affect our families. And unfortunately, there's some very very famous godly whatever leaders in the Bible that were so were busy in God's work. The Bible says of Eli, he did not restrain his sons. He did not say no. He didn't say no. And he turned into a bunch of hoodlums. David could run a kingdom. He could, he could, he could manage an arm in a uh, 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 battle, in, but he couldn't run his family. The Bible said he, he didn't ask, he never asked his son, why are you doing what you are doing? You can read that in 1 Kings 1, 5, and 6. Adonijah wanted to take over the throne. The Bible says he was rebellious because David did ne never ask him. He spoiled him. He never asked him, why are you doing the things you're doing? He just let him go. Integrity must reach out into our families. Number five, a godly father must be a man of sensitivity. I find it a daily challenge to be a person that is reflects the sensitivity of Christ. I tend to be think black and white. I th tend to um, whatever. That's just my... But what would it be like if Jesus was coarse and uncaring? He had the truth. He knew it. And take it or leave it. It's up to you. What would it be like? There are way too many children walking through the doors of our conservative Mennonite churches, and I will say one is too many, where they are not convinced that dad cares. Now, they're convinced that they're, he cares about himself, but they are not convinced that he cares about them. You will meet those kind of people at Fresh Start. Our spirit must reflect the spirit and care of God the Father. That's why Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then he says in verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, to anger, lest they be discouraged. I've said this probably, use this illustration before, but I will use it again because a lot of new people here. 
I talked to a young man. He said, I could not lift a milk can eight inches off this concrete level up to this concrete level. It was impossible for me to, to lift a milk can eight inches from one level to the other to the satisfaction of my dad. And he said, I hope my dad dies before my mom so she has some years of peace before she passes away. Discouraged? Oh, unbelievably discouraged. Number six, a godly father must be a man of commitment. Commitment to God, commitment to his wife, commitment to the church. There shouldn't be a doubt in our children's mind where our commitments are. God said of Abraham, I know Abraham. I know Abraham that he will, what does it say? Oh, I'm right. Let's look at it. 18, Genesis 18, 16. Pushing the clock here, but I think we need to. It's the last point. Genesis 16, 18. Oh, no, 18.16, I'm sorry. Genesis 18.16, and this was right after the event where Sarah was going to have, a, God told her she was going to have a child, and right before Sodom was destroyed. Verse 16, and the men, which is these, I think they were angels, came to give them this message. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went out with them to bring them on the way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? He's going to destroy this city because of their evil. Flaming pitch from heaven. Flaming pitch from heaven. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the earth, nations of the earth shall be blessed at him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, that do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And then he goes and says, Because of Christ, Sodom is great, because of sin is very grievous, I will go down. And he ended up destroying Sodom. But you know what? Oh, to have God to say that about every dad in this church, including me, there is no doubt in my mind. Not a flicker of a doubt. Is there a flicker of a doubt? In your children's mind? Is there a flicker of a doubt in your wife's mind? Is there a flicker of a doubt in God's mind? Oh, brothers and sisters, this morning, 
You know what Abraham was committed to? He was committed to the only thing that he could take to heaven. The only thing. Everything else didn't matter. You can stand and you can say, what do you want? What do you want? Abraham says, you take it. You decide. I'll take what's left. It didn't matter. It simply didn't matter. But the things that he could take to heaven was all-consuming in his life. And that was his own soul and the soul of his family. And as Warren has often said, may God help us. Let's pray. Let's kneel in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for the fact that you have given us your word that gives us direction in life, allows us to understand your mind, your will, and your thoughts and your paths for our feet. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand what you have declared is right and what you have declared is wrong. And I pray that you will give us grace and peace and wisdom as we raise our families for you. I pray that you would bless each family in divine presence here this morning. I pray that you give them wisdom, give them a passion for the souls of their children, give them a passion for obedience to your word. Help us all, Lord, to honor you, Lord. This job is way too big for us, and we cry out to you this morning to help us. I pray that every family here in its entirety would find you as their personal Savior, and that they would live lives of obedience and godliness to you. And I pray that you would give us courage, give us wisdom. Help us to be a champion in a land that is being destroyed by lack of knowledge and lack of understanding what's right and what's wrong. I pray you give us gentleness, give us caring hearts, give us love, and may we reflect the character of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of